Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number 40. We've made it to 40, Sandy. Simon Head, Chamatkar Sandu, with the MMA podcast that brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. As I say, my name is Simon Head. Joining me through the wonders of Skype, as always, is Mr. Chamatkar Sandu. And Sandu, we've been uh, we've been side by side on press row. It doesn't happen very often, but uh, we were side by side on press row with our buddy Abby Saban last weekend. And uh, we're going to be working together again this week, albeit uh, on opposite sides of the, uh, nearly said the channel, but it's not, it's the, it's, I suppose it's the North Sea, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be international uh, border channel something uh, connectivity to produce some Euro junkie quality content uh, for MMA junkie this week. But no, it was good. Last week, we obviously uh, covered the Bellator event, their return to London. Um, and it's not often or too often that we get to cover uh, events back to back. But that's what's going to happen as the UFC returns to Europe. Uh, and they return to Stockholm, Sweden, um, with uh, Alexander Gustafsson and Glover Teixeira headlining that card. So that's going to be the premise of this week's show. We're going to be recapping uh, Bellator's return to London and previewing um, the UFC Stockholm card. Uh, plus, we've obviously got uh, a whole bundle of questions to get through. Um, from everyone firing across uh, their queue and their questions, you know, via Twitter and what have you. But before we do all of that, Simon, you've got some really positive uh, news to share, and so I guess the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 a positive start. Those of you that know me will know that um, I used to work for a certain notorious national newspaper. Uh, I now no longer work for said notorious national newspaper after they made me redundant back in January. And it's been a tough few months. I've been uh, scrabbling around for bits and pieces here and there. Um, but today I've managed to sign myself uh, a nice little a nice little deal with uh, the BBC. It's not a full-time job. Um, it'll form hopefully part of, a, of, a, of a, bigger, a bigger job where I do stuff for other people as well. But I will be uh, producing some, some regular MMA content for the BBC who... Uh, for those of you who who don't know, the BBC are the state broadcaster here in the UK, and they are, I guess, they're like the holy grail of where the sport of MMA needs to be in this country. If you're on the BBC, then you, you know you are as legit as it comes, and uh, it's been something that we in the media have spoken about for years and years. Wouldn't it be great to get MMA on the BBC? Well, they've done a deal with BBC Three in the past, um, and they do have. Uh, an MMA channel on the BBC Three website, and uh, I think they're looking to just sort of grow that and, and, and build that up, and, and who knows where that may go in in the future. You know, they've got a huge sport website. Personally, I'd love to see MMA on there. I think anyone involved in the sport would love to see it on there. But uh, you know, we've got to walk before we can run, and I've you know I've been uh, been uh, given the opportunity to to help BBC Three really grow that coverage and, and uh, start producing some regular stuff for them. Very, very excited to do so. And uh, that all starts this week. So uh, keep an eye on my Twitter and uh, you'll start to see some uh, some links to BBC content uh, over the uh, the coming days and weeks. But it's going to be it's going to be good fun. But uh, yeah, that won't be the end all be all. I'll be doing bits and pieces for for, for, for various different places. And most, most notably this week, MMA Junkie um, as... As we both are, Mr. Sandu, as a part of that uh, MMA junkie European crack European squad, um, which uh, I know you guys are going to be over in Stockholm. I'm going to be holding things down over here, uh, back home in England, and uh, between us all, we'll uh, we'll churn out some good stuff during fight week uh, in the next few days. 
Yeah, and uh, just to kind of uh, put a note on this BBC gig that you've got, I think it's a, a great statement of intent uh, by the BBC to go and get somebody of your talents. You've obviously been working in the industry for a hell of a you know, lot longer than uh, anybody else, especially from the UK. Um, you've got all the right contacts, you know, you've got all the right experience. And, uh, and we've spoken about this before. When somebody in our circle on this side of the pond gets a gig by a mainstream outlet like the BBC, in whatever capacity it is, it starts to show that other outlets who perhaps aren't covering MMA or perhaps are but not to um, an in-depth level may need to then jump on the bandwagon because if they see the BBC leading the way of coverage, they don't want to be left by the wayside, so to speak. So hopefully what this does is open doors for everybody else, uh, everybody else that's grinding away here, here in the UK, um, trying to cover the sport as best as they can, whether it's for uh, a global outlet, a European outlet, if it's just a blog or a YouTube channel, what have you. Uh, a lot of good people in our industry. So really happy for you, Simon. Uh, obviously, it's been a, an up and down period, especially these last couple of months. But um, I always suspected that there would be light at the end of the tunnel. So, um, yeah, it's a nice, positive a uh, bit of news to kickstart today's show. Sure is, it sure is. It's been a funny few months, and uh, my my wife is due to give birth to our second daughter pretty much any time now. I mean, if I was to walk up behind her with a balloon and burst it, I reckon she'd be straight into labour. <laughs> so um, it, we are getting very close. I think the due date's like June the 9th or something, but I, I think we might be seeing seeing baby arrive a bit earlier than that. So everything is happening over here, but I. Uh, doesn't mean uh, I've been able to switch off from the world of Planet MMA. Um, we were both at the uh, the SSC Arena, um, better known to uh, to everyone over here as Wembley Arena. This Friday night, um, it's been weird actually, Sandy, because the last the last two weeks I've I've been at MMA events, which has been a bit unusual because I've been out of the loop a little bit in terms of live events. But both of them have been Friday nights. And it completely throws you for the rest of the weekend. It's, it's actually a good thing. Because once you've got through fight night, you realise you still have a weekend. But yep. it is weird. MMA on a Friday night is weird. Especially early on in the fight card. Because you, you just can't get the people in that early. Because everyone's finishing up at work. Wembley in particular is an absolute pig to get to. Um, but Wembley Arena is, a, I think, a great venue for fights. Um, it's one of those where you can configure it to look nice and busy no matter how big your expected crowd is it's very configurable um but we had bellator there on the weekend and uh 11,800 people was the official attendance which is pretty pretty darned impressive um yep and uh you know we saw we saw we saw a decent show i thought i mean there were some good fights and man there were some bad ones and i i i will talk to you about one of those in a bit but um what it did show us was some some good up and coming British talent. First off, let's talk about for me the high spot of the entire evening, and it's something that, due to events that happened later in the night, might have gotten overshadowed a little bit. Mm. Um, Fabian Edwards, yep. uh, younger brother uh, of uh, UFC welterweight star Leon Rocky Edwards, I believe it was his pro debut, or it might have been his second pro fight, taking on a guy by the name of uh, Rafael. Sir- Sedrowski or Sirowski, um, and uh, Edwards looked like a million bucks and finished him with a flying knee that Michael Venom Page or Paul Daly would have been proud of. That was 
that was the real wow moment of the night for me. That was hugely impressive. He's a middleweight, so he's a, even though he's the little brother, he's actually the bigger brother um, of the Edwards boys. But um, he looks like he might have a bit of a chance in this MMA business. He looked pretty impressive, didn't he? He did. And, you know, it's one of those weird ones where I don't know what it is about the UK fighters in the Bellator roster just nailing these flying knee knockouts this past year or if it's Bellator just coming to London and there's something in the water. But that's now three flying knee knockouts from British fighters in, the, in, in, the, in Bellator and the second straight successive year. Now, he didn't quite have the Pokemon-style uh, celebration that Michael Venom Page did last year, which obviously went viral. But he, um, he went about his business really, really well, got the knockout, uh, probably the knockout of the night. I mean, you know, you could perhaps potentially argue that uh, Alfie Davis scored an incredible spinning sidekick knockout. Now, unfortunately for him, it took place after the main event, so it was a post-limb. And unfortunately, it wasn't actually recorded uh, for any broadcast purposes because... Oh, really? After, yeah, this is a bit... I've, I've been checking out Alfie Davis's kind of like social media posts on Facebook and what have you, and what they did was, uh, I think the production team after the main event finished, thought, oh, well, we're done now. And they started to pack away their, their camera and their bits and pieces. And then, obviously, we had, uh, which we'll obviously get to in a, little, in a little bit, the big scuffle between MVP and Rory McDo- uh, MVP and um, uh, Paul Daly. That may have caused a bit of a distraction because there was a bit of a lull period for about 10 or 15 minutes while those two were separated and there was a, a massive crowd that congregated just outside um, the cage, which probably delayed the Alfie Davis, J. Dodds fight, the postlin fight, so that when he did actually get out, it was a pretty empty arena, uh, maybe just a couple of hundred people there, and no cameras. And the only footage was actually some fan footage um, that was captured on a, on, a, on a smartphone that was doing the rounds. But if you've got a chance to see it, I highly recommend checking out Alfie Davis, spinning sidekick. Um, Alfie Davis, I've seen him fight back in the day at UC MMA, and he's kind of taking his time kind of really getting more pro fights under his belt, uh, supplementing um, a sports science degree at university, which he's now finished. So all kind of, you know, it looks like all roads lead to Alfie Davis now really going gung-ho with his career and getting more pro fights under his belt. But to to wrap it back uh, around to um, Fabian Edwards, he is definitely somebody people should keep an eye on, especially um, in that better tour middleweight division. Yeah, that really was super impressive. Uh, other notable wins on the prelims, Nathan Jones, who goes by the, the rather excellent nickname of Mr. Bag and Tag, uh, bagged himself a very impressive submission against uh, Uma Kayani. That was in the first round. Uh, we had, a, we had uh, Stav Economou, the crazy bear. Anyone who's been in and around UK MMA will be familiar with Stav Economou. He seems to have been around forever. Picked up a first round standing guillotine choke finish of uh, Dan Koneka or Konecki. Um, Jeremy Petley and Chase Morton. Chase Morton, uh, those of you in the UK who love a talent show, Chase Morton used to be on The Voice. He was on The Voice. And his previous fight that I was at, he sang his way down to the cage. He actually sang his own uh, entrance and then promptly lost. Uh, He didn't sing his way down to the cage this time. um, And he did very well uh, to actually get the fight to the judges because he he looked in a lot of trouble early on in that fight against uh, the experienced Jeremy Petley. Lost out on the cards, but I think that'll be a good learning fight for him. Mike Shipman, um, 
got a very impressive looking TKO of Marcin Prosko. Uh, did that inside uh, three minutes of the first round. So we saw some good stuff, uh, you know, plenty of good action in that uh, in that preliminary card. But let's let's talk about the let's talk about the big fights that we had on the night sand. We'll work away from from the first one up. Kevin Ferguson Jr., better known as Baby Slice. Sandu, you know, you're buddies with him. You just call him Slice these days. Um, <laughs> he took on DJ Griffin uh, in, a, in, a, in a battle between a guy who was 0-1. Baby Slice was 0-1. DJ Griffin was 0-0. And when you get these fights, you, you sort of look at them and think, okay, is this going to be a competitive fight? Because it's very hard. You know, sometimes you could come in 0-0, but you could have like a 15-fight amateur record, or you could come in having literally just been in the gym. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I thought DJ Griffin actually acquitted himself quite well. Um, uh, looked quite dangerous off his back, was looking for submissions. But it was to be Baby Slice's day. He had he had an awful lot of emotion going into that fight. Got himself a, a TKO victory in the first round. Very emotional afterwards. I remember, he, I remember uh, doing a live blog. He grabbed his... He took out his mouthpiece after he won... And he hurled it into the crowd. And the amount of adrenaline going through him, this thing went about 30, 40 yards. It almost hit the back row of the stands, you know. He absolutely chucked the thing into the crowd. Um, but, yeah, that was, a, that was a super emotional win for him. His first win as a professional mixed martial artist. And, you know, you spoke to him during the week, Sander. I mean, that one really did mean something to him. It did. And uh, in regards to the performance, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect because, obviously, we've only seen him fight once before. So I didn't know if, he, if his skill set was predominantly a, as a striker or a grappler. And I was actually pleasantly surprised to see him do some really good you know, grappling work and showcase some skill on the ground. And having spoken to him in the post-fight media scrum, he essentially told us uh, that you know, he wants to evolve the Slice name. Of course, his old man, Kimbo Slice, uh, may he rest in peace, was obviously known to be a, a striker, a boxer, a slugger. And he obviously got in every win, you know, via knockout TKO. Whereas his son, Baby Slice, he wants to evolve it. He wants to, you know, you know, um, really learn the art of jiu-jitsu and, and wrestling and kind of implement that into his overall skill set as a mixed martial artist. And he's in no hurry to rush back uh, and fight. He said that he wants to take some time and, to, you know, and evolve his game. And he looked, he looked good, uh, Simon. You know, by by no means at all is this the, the finished article. Um, but and the only reason, you know, of course, it was well documented by now. The only reason he took this fight um, was because Kimbo Slice was supposed to fight um, for Bellator in their debut event in London, and we we all know what happened there. Um, so this was an emotional fight for him. He and you know, having spoken to him in the in the post-fight media scrum, he did say that he was trying to be as reserved as he could during fight week, and it all just came out of him, you know. And now he knows what it's like to lose. And he knows what it's like to win as a as a professional mixed martial artist. So and and look, the the the, the British crowd here, in London, they loved him. You know, uh, I think some of that is a bit of cachet from his old man. Um, but he had a good time here in London. Uh, the fans loved him here. He said he's absolutely has no problem whatsoever coming back to London or the UK to fight again. Um, so which would, which would be great to have him again on a, on a, on another Bellator card here on on our side of the pond. But um, but yeah, good for him. He got his first win. Uh, Scott Coker also mentioned in, in his post-fight media scrum that this meant a lot to the extended Bellator family. Um, again, again, I think from my sense, there was still a lot of mourning that's been going on over the past 12 months. And I, and I think perhaps with Baby Slice 
getting his hand raised in victory here in London may have given a lot of people a little bit of closure so they can now properly move on with their lives. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an all-round, um, you know, good, good-hearted kind of, you know, feeling that you get from this performance. Yeah, feel-good story for sure. And what we have to bear in mind, of course, is this is, this is a lad who, he's literally just embarking on the start of his professional mixed martial arts career. And I think over time, it may well be that we look back at the beginning of his career the fact that he lost his first fight might actually be helpful to him insofar as, you know, the hype train isn't going to get too overexcited too early. You know what I mean? The fact that he stepped in there first time round and he was, he, he was, he was acquitting himself quite well in the first fight, but then lost. Um, and um, the fact that he's got that loss on his record means he hasn't got an, he hasn't got an undefeated record to protect. And there isn't an undefeated record to be lauded to the high heavens as he starts to work his way up the ladder. Um, but he seems to have a great attitude about him. It was, you know, you, you talked about the British crowd loving loving him. Um, I remember on on the night, the first two minutes of his post fight interview, no one could hear it because there was an issue with the microphone. Uh, Jimmy Smith's microphone wasn't. I assume it was going out on broadcast, but it wasn't. It certainly wasn't coming out of the uh, the arena PA, and the crowd started to boo a little bit because they couldn't hear. And I was thinking, oh, don't boo. You know, this is a, a guy, it's quite an emotional win for him. He's probably pouring his heart out as we, as, as, you know, as we're sitting there. And the crowd are booing a little bit. And he was like, oh, no. Thankfully, the, uh, the ring announcer dived in with his live mic, gave that to Jimmy Smith. And then as soon as everyone heard uh, Baby Slice's voice, huge cheer erupted. And you could almost, it was almost like a sense of relief. Okay, we can hear him now, and uh, he was able to thank the crowd, and the crowd were able to to show him a little bit of love back. That was a really nice feel good story, and that kicked off the main card. Um, another feel good story in, in in the fight that followed: uh, Alex Alex Lahore beating Dan Vinny Edwards, uh, second round TKO. I've got to admit, when the fight actually finished, I mean, it was it was a horrible mismatch. Let's 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 be honest here. Uh, Alex Lahore, I think he was eleven and one going into that fight, and Dan Vinny was fourteen and fourteen. So a big, big discrepancy in the records there, and and the fight went the way you would expect an eleven and one versus a fourteen and fourteen fight to go. It was one way traffic. Uh, Lahore got the win, uh, second round TKO. And it was kind of weird because he looked like he was taunting uh, Dan Vinny immediately after the TKO, which I didn't think was a very good look. I thought, okay, this is all a bit unnecessary. But then he kind of won, won his brownie points back again by bringing his mum into the cage for the post-fight interview. Um, and uh, it sounds like his mum had actually brought them over to the UK to help give him a, a better chance in life, so to speak. And uh, he found MMA and, and you know he's now training here in the UK and he's, he's building his skills up. And he looks like he might, he might uh, have a little bit about him. So looking forward to seeing how he goes. Uh, but he looked pretty dominant in that fight, Sandy. He did, uh, and I just I loved like that post-fight interview moment with his with his mum. It was again well received by everybody um, in the arena. And I think when you can win in MMA on a main card situation like that, when you know it's going to be uh, nationally televised and get that exposure stateside as well on Spike TV in the US, try and just create a moment. Now, that moment might be um, calling out the next fighter. It, it might be to get a bit of your personality out there. Um, and it doesn't have to be super hardcore planned. It, it, 
obviously everybody wants it to be organic, but just have some ideas in your mind about what you'd like to do ideally. Hey, if I win, what would I like to do? And for him to kind of bring his mum in, I thought was a really nice moment. It's actually unfortunate that we didn't get Alex Lahore um, in a post-fight media scrum because I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into his background um, and kind of tell that story a little bit more with, with regards to his mum uh, bringing him over um, and kind of almost changing his life, giving him a complete 180 with regards to what direction his life was headed. Um, but yeah, good performance, a nice moment post-fight and uh, onwards and upwards. Yeah, you talk about in a fight or in a post-fight, you want a moment, you need a hook, you want something that sends the crowd home saying, I remember that guy, or I remember yeah. that fight. Yep. Unfortunately, the next fight really didn't do that. Now, I have the greatest of respect for anyone who pulls on a set of four-ounce gloves and steps through the cage for a fight. Sometimes you have good fights, and sometimes you have bad fights. You, you know, we can't always have barn burners every single time. But Czech Congo versus Augusto Sakai might just be the worst fight I've ever seen live. It's got a, it's it's up there. I'm struggling to think of a worse one. Uh, I might have seen worse on TV, but I think I actually sat there and watched the clock to see when the first meaningful strike actually landed. And the first meaningful strike was a a leg kick that that, that connected just below the knee. Uh, for Augusto Sakai, and that landed one minute and 58 seconds into the first round. Up until then, they were just basically walking around looking at each other. It was, and to be and to be fair, the fight didn't get much better after that. It was, it was a really really bad fight. Um, and Congo seemed very gun shy, uh, which against the guy in Augusto Sakai was undefeated going into that fight. He was nine zero and one draw. Seven of his nine wins have come by way of knockouts, so perhaps Congo was a little wary of the Brazilian's knockout power. Um, Sakai was clearly very wary of Congo, who had a big height and reach advantage, um, but didn't seem that keen on using it. So what we had was a stalemate for much of the fight, and uh, when the decision came in, we had a split decision, uh, and in some ways, the most poetic thing would have been for it to have been ruled a draw, because almost... Almost no one deserved to win that fight. It was it was it was a very very poor fight. Um, but Congo got the nod. Two of the judges gave it to him. Twenty nine twenty eight. Uh, the first judge actually scored it for Sakai. But um, wax lyrical on this fight, Sandu. Tell me how wrong I am, and that we'd missed that I've actually just completely misunderstood a modern classic of the genre. Uh, I'd I'd love to, Simon, but you're bang on the money with this one. Um, anyone that thinks otherwise needs to get their kind of head checked. If I'm honest. Um, you know, but look, to be fair, it's kind of what I was expecting. Czech Congo. That makes it worse. Like, that makes it worse, surely. If we're expecting the fight to suck, then surely, surely that's no, you know, I know heavyweight fights sometimes it's either they're kind of all or nothing sometimes, aren't they? They're, they're explosive and they end quickly, or they can drag and go all the way to the distance. You know, sometimes you get amazing fights like the first Miocic versus Junior dos Santos or. Mark Hunt versus um, Bigfoot Silver. This wasn't anything like that, was it? No, 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 no. I, what? I, let me let me kind of clarify. I don't mean that I was expecting it to be a boring fight. I just meant I expected Czech Congo to pitter patter his way through fifteen minutes and, and eke out a decision because that's exactly what he's been doing the last couple of years. Yeah. Now I had no idea what Sakai's kind of prerogative was coming into this fight, where he'd push the pace. 
uh, whether he had um, really put, put Chikongo in a difficult situation where Congo would perhaps have to rely on a few kind of overhand rights and a few swings here and there, to, you know, because he's obviously got the power. We've seen that before throughout his career. But what he's been doing over the last couple of years, um, and, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from. You keep winning, you make more money. And right now, whether you like his performances or not, he's on a firefight win streak. Now, they're all by decision, right? They're not the, they're the most pleasing on the eye type of fights, but it's still a firefight win streak, which uh, my colleague over at Junkie, Mike Bond, kind of uh, also kind of stated in his post-fight facts, is he's, on, he's the most, he's the winningest Bellator heavyweight. <laughs> so take that for what, you, for what you want. Now, a part of me thinks that had they kind of got the deal done with Bobby Lashley, he would have been on this card. Uh, Czech Congo versus Sakai was actually a pretty late addition to the main card. And I think it probably was because they couldn't get a deal done with Bobby Lashley, who Scott Coker told us um, throughout fight week, was uh, basically just tied up in his pro wrestling duties. That's where his kind of passion currently lies. Uh, they haven't spoken to him in, in a while uh, because he's just kind of carrying on with his gig uh, with TNA and Impact Wrestling and what have you. So... You know, and they announced the Czech Congo fight. I think it was about three or four weeks ago. So, anyway, with that being said, let's just move forward because the less said about this fight, the better. Yeah, we spent far too much time on that fight. Thankfully, the co-main event was an absolutely great fight. I thought. I, I mean, if you're not um, a fan of uh, of grappling or ground-based fighting, then you might have found it a little bit tricky to watch because an awful an awful lot of this light heavyweight fight between the two Brits, Linton Vassell and Liam McGeary. A lot of this fight was spent on the floor. I thought it was fascinating. McGeary, known for his submissions, very dangerous off his back. Linton Vassell, very strong in the wrestling department, loves to dominate from top position, very heavy from top position. And it was an interesting clash of styles. It was basically a case of whose style would would, would hold sway. Um, The striking was pretty even. Um, And then when the fight went to the mat, Vassell did the business, put on a dominant performance on the mat, really, against the former Bellator light heavyweight champion, got the submission via third round arm triangle. On my card, he was two rounds up already going into that third round. Um, But with someone like McGeary, who can pull off a submission from anywhere, there's always that danger. But Vassell looked really, really good. And I think he's probably booked himself into a title fight. Did you get any clarification on that after after the fight, Sandy? Well, Scott Coker said that that's probably the way they're going to lean, um, but they still need to figure a lot of bits and pieces out and see how things develop. But he didn't indicate that Vessel wouldn't get the title shot. He definitely thought that he'd done enough, but he didn't commit to it 100%. But Linton Vessel, this was a, a big moment for him because this was his third win in a row. And like going into that third round, I thought, okay, you're clearly up on the judges' scorecard after two dominant rounds. You could just cruise your way to a decision here. But credit to him, he got the finish. He got the finish, you know. And getting a finish, it just kind of puts the rubber stamp on things. Uh, I have to say, I am a little bit disappointed in McGeary's performance here. I was expecting a little bit more out of him, just because of his kind of jujitsu back background. And I thought perhaps being on his back, he'd be able to offer a little bit more offense. But I guess in that situation, you've got to give credit to Linton Vassell for being super, super dominant. Moved over to Florida, kind of rounded out his game. And, um, you know, he said it was all going to be business and he good, good for him. He, uh, in the post fight scrum also, um, made sure that, uh, everybody knows he's now gunning for that title. He's going to be in New York. 
He's going to be an MSG, uh, and he's hoping now uh, to face the winner of Phil Davis and Ryan Bader. And when you look at that Bellator, um, you know, light heavyweight division, who's more deserving than Linton Vassell? I can't really give you a name um, any other than Vassell, who's on a, on a three-fight win streak, like against the likes of Francis Carmont, Emmanuel Newton, and now a former Bellator light heavyweight champion. He's done enough in my book. Yeah, and and I think you know what you were saying about how McGeary just wasn't able to really get his game plan underway. I think as I think as you touched on there, that was all down to Vassell. I thought Vassell just shut him down, and and it was I thought it was a dominant performance. I thought it was really impressive, and I totally agree with you. The fact that he still went for that finish in the third round when really he could have just effectively laid and prayed for the rest of the round. Didn't do that, did he? He went for it, got the submission win. That's a statement win for him. He's always been there or thereabouts, Linton Vassell. Um, and I think he challenged, I think he might have challenged Emmanuel Newton for the belt a few years back and just came up short. Um, but he's since then, he's rebounded well. He's got himself a nice little win streak going. He's beaten the former champion. He's right in there, and I think he deserves the next shot. I really do believe that. Um, and uh, yeah, Vassell and McGeary, good friends outside the cage, but they both got the same, you know, the same career reigns, which is that Bellator two hundred and five pound title. Linton Vassell moves one step closer, and I think he probably will get that next shot. That all teed things up nicely for the main event in the evening: Rory McDonald against Paul Daly. Who would who would uh, come out on top and book themselves into a championship fight? against the winner of Douglas Lima and Lorenz Larkin in the upcoming championship fight. Daly, obviously, everyone expected to have the advantage in the striking. Roy McDonald, everyone expected him to have the advantage in the wrestling. And the question was, whose game would hold sway? And Rory dominated Daly. Uh, I expected it to... I, I, I thought Daly might be able to keep McDonald at bay at least, at least for a bit longer than he did. But Rory pretty much ran through him, uh, and that's no discredit to Daly. Rory just looked absolutely on top of his game. He looks like a man on a mission, a man with a point to prove. He's not just come over to Bellator for the paycheck. And uh, I'm loving some of the sound bites we're getting out of him as well. You know, he means business. We seem to have, like, McDonald's kind of a scary, scary dude anyway. When you see him talking, he's got this sort of deadpan, sort of psycho sort of look about him sometimes when you see him talking. But. He seems to have turned that up to a whole new level now and um, he, he's ready for the belt and who's going to bet against him winning it? That was such a, such a dominant, impressive performance. We'll talk about the fight first. There's other stuff afterwards that we'll have to get onto, but but uh, Rory McDonald looked an absolute beast in there, Sandu. He did. Dominant, made light work of Paul Daly, made it look easy and he got a really good reception from the British crowd and... and I kind of spoke to him about that during fight week, and uh, him and both Faraz Zahabi, his, uh, his head coach, thought they were coming into enemy territory. It didn't sound like it was there were too many enemies out there for him, to be fair, because I think a lot of people in the MMA community, especially on this side of the pond, have a lot of respect for Rory McDonald. He's a fan favorite. You could even argue he's got a cult status, given some of the wars that he's been in with, especially with Rob, Rob, you know, Robbie Lawler. And um, he's coming here, uh, nice bit of build-up with Paul Daly, main event slot, a lot of hype surrounding his debut for Bellator, and he just just nullified Paul Daly completely. And um, you know, I got a lot of time in the world for Paul. You know, I do truly believe he's a, a well-rounded mixed martial artist. Although obviously he gets most of his you know job done 
on, on his feet uh, with his strikes. But, you know, he was able to, I suppose, nullify Rory in that first round, you know, and just kind of keep get, get through that kind of difficult moment. And then, but then the second round happened and he got taken down again. And, uh, you know, when you've, when you've got someone like Rory McDonald on you, six, seven, eight minutes into a fight, sooner or later, he's going to find a position um, or tweak you in a way where you give him an opening. And once you give him that opening, which Paul Daly did, he got his you know, arms around his neck and, uh, and Paul Daly was hitting the canvas uh, pretty quickly before his lights went out. So a really good result for Rory McDonald. Gets those kind of Bellator jitters out of the way, off to a win. And, uh, and now he's set himself up for a title fight in that 170-pound weight class. But he's not done there because he told MMA Junkie uh, that he'll like to hopefully fight for the, the middleweight title by the end of the year. So Rory McDonald now is on a nice bit of momentum. He's got a win. He's fighting for the welterweight championship. He might be able to angle for a, a fight for the middleweight championship if things go well later this year. Plus, Bellator are going to be entering the Canadian market with a red-hot superstar in McDonald. And so, yeah, it's just a welcome back, the Red King. Yeah, super impressive. Uh, the overall event, mentioned earlier, an attendance of 11,872 for a total gate of $1.09 million. That's £834,000. That works out about £70 a ticket average. So uh, decent decent uh, night's work for Bellator. Um, hopefully we'll see more of them uh, in the months and years to come. They, you know, they are aggressively looking to expand across across the region, which is which is encouraging to see. That wasn't the end of the action. I know we had this dark dark match afterwards, but we also had a bit of uh, an impromptu scuffle. And uh, I don't know if TMZ start op- you know decide they're going to open a European office, then Shamat Karsandu, I think you'll be top of the <laughs> list because uh, because your 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 uh, you were the sort of Johnny on the spot, weren't you? You managed to capture capture the uh, the fan footage that ended up being shared pretty much across every major outlet i think once once uh, once they all woke up to it um where there was a little bit of bit of a skirmish between um, between Paul Daly who'd obviously just lost and Michael Venom Page who was due to fight on this fight card against Derek Anderson but uh had to withdraw due to a knee injury i believe uh, in the lead up to the fight he was in the crowd uh, Daly had a few choice words in the post fight press conference and as he left the cage uh things boiled over i'll let you take up the story because you were over there already i think or sort of heading heading around there anyway yeah it's a weird one i mean um so i spoke to michael venom page earlier in the evening he was in really high spirits actually good spirits happy to be there obviously unfortunately he couldn't perform in front of the the london crowd which is what he really wanted to do but with that being said he was still you know taking pictures with fans and doing some autographs and he was there front row alongside him front row was robbie from arsenal fan tv so uh (laughs) You know, infamous over here on this side of the pond. Actually, we're internationally now with that YouTube channel. But, you know, he was having a good time. And he was there with his girlfriend, there with his manager and, and his brother and his team or what have you. And then, so the main event wraps up. And then we see Paul Daly literally walk past press row. And then Abby gives me a bit of a nudge and says, hey, he's making a beeline over to that front row area. Go check it out. So I kind of just run. By the time I get there, 
Paul Daly is literally um, getting in Michael Venom Page's face. Now, there's a couple of gents in front or in between them, sorry, one of which is Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV. I quickly switch my smartphone to the video camera mode, hit the record button, and I just jump up onto um, a chair so I can get a nice, you know, not a bird's eye view, but a nice high angle uh, point of view. And uh, it was just pandemonium, Simon. Paul Daly's kind of getting in his face. Now, there was no physical alter altercation between the two because, like I said, there was plenty of bodies in between them. But it caused a massive scene. Obviously, there's health and safety involved. Scott Coker told us afterwards that they'll have to review all the available kind of video footage to see if there'll be any suspensions or fines issued for either guy. But that, put, that you know, being put aside, what you've got now is what I think, in my opinion, one of the most high-profile uh, fights that Bellator can put on. It's already had a lot of you know, meat on the bone, considering some of the back-and-forth trash talk they had in the uh, you know, building up to and at the uh, Bellator London press conference a few months ago. They are keen to fight each other. And now that Paul Daly's obviously lost to Rory McDonald, MVP is going to be coming back uh, from this knee injury, which looks like might be uh, this autumn. That's a nice little time frame to perhaps put this fight together. Now, with that being said, Scott Coker did say during fight week that the plan was to bring an event to Belfast this year. They're talking to a venue in Dublin, and they were looking at one other UK city, but it wasn't going to be London. So then my kind of everyone's kind of speculation and thoughts were perhaps towards Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow, Newcastle, you know, somewhere else that they could hold an event. I asked him if they would perhaps call an audible and actually come back to London sooner rather than later. And he wasn't opposed to that idea. Because I think if you're going to do Paul Daly versus MVP, you've got to do it in London. You've got to do it in a city where you're going to get the most amount of media exposure, especially the mainstream media. Plus, they've got their Viacom head offices here in London, which means they can get a lot of the production and you know, the, the logistical bits and pieces ready for their marketing plan. So, you know... Thankfully, nobody was hurt in the skirmish, in the, in the little scuffle. But that kind of stuff does really well in the fight game, Simon. It really does. It really does. And I think London makes the most sense. But I don't think, uh, I don't think Manchester or Birmingham would be a terrible, uh, you know, a terrible second, second choice. Both big cities, big fight cities that are used to putting on uh, sizable fight cards. Um, holding it over in, in, in Ireland would be fine. But... I think having it here in England makes a lot more sense. Two English guys. Um, the the rivalry started in London, if you like, when, when they were facing off uh, during the press conferences and all the rest of it. Then it boiled over in London on Friday night. It stands to reason that it makes sense to have it, have it in England and certainly to have it in London. Um, I called it the Eubank v Ben of British MMA uh, a few months ago. And I stand by that because these two guys, uh, while I think there is a, I think there is underneath it all a healthy respect for each other, they're also very, very different characters. Uh, and I do think they rub each other up the wrong way a little bit. And uh, this is a fight that needs to happen now. And the fact that Daly lost, I think, accelerates the process. I think if Daly wins, he then goes into a title fight, and then uh, that just that just puts another barrier in the way. MVP then has to take another fight. In, in, in the interim. So the fact that MVP is injured and Daly lost 
I think that has to be the next fight for both men. Would you agree with that? Yes, without a doubt. It, it has to be, right? It can't be anything else, can it? Nah, I don't think so. I think when you're, when you're sitting on uh, something as hot as this, the, sometimes you can do the slow build, and I think yep. that was the original plan. But I think we're at the stage now where to do anything but that would be to basically to put the fight at risk. I think Daly made it very, very clear in his post-fight interview uh, what he wants next. He wants MVP next. Uh, and I think MVP would be more than happy to take that daily fight next um, because he'll see that as a way of catapulting himself straight up there into the championship picture. I think people have wanted to see MVP in a big fight for a while now. Uh, the Anderson fight would have been a really interesting test for him. Certainly would have been a step up in level from his previous fights and would have been a, a good progression, I think. But now with him falling out of that fight with his knee injury, let him have time, rehab the knee, get back fully fit again. But then you've got an all-British grudge match in what is becoming a growing market for Bellator. Um, all I would say is book the fight as early as possible, start telling the story as early as possible, and get the fight on live television. Yep. Get it on live television. I think that's, that's the missing piece of the jigsaw for Bellator, particularly over here. I know it was the same in America, but over here, you absolutely, if it's on prime time as well, there's no... There's no reason for it not to be. Um, and, um, yeah, for a fight like that, get it get it booked early and tell the story and just keep teasing all the way through the other Bellator shows. Just keep teasing, keep teasing, keep teasing. And then by the time they walk in there on fight night, you've got yourself a real, a real level of buzz and anticipation. We know the British fans are going to pack the stands for it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it would be... It'd certainly be one of the biggest British MMA fights we've had. Um, you know, obviously we've had Michael Bisbing uh, defending his world title, and before that, taking on Anderson Silva. You know, they are huge, huge fights. If you're talking an all-British fight, this might be as big as it gets. I mean, the biggest all-British fight I can think of is probably Tom Kong Watson, who was in attendance on Friday night. Actually, he was sat just along from us. Um, yep. Tom Kong Watson for Alex Reed. Um, I think it was Bama 4, if my memory serves. Uh, and that was a fight with a big build-up, a lot of buzz, and the fight actually delivered. If you get the chance to see that on YouTube, I think it's still on there, watch that fight. It was an absolute barn burner. Great fight. Um, and I can see this following a similar path. But book the fight now, start telling the story, and get them in there. I thought that was... I, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's a no-brainer. But yes, I mean, um, you know, MVP uh, and Paul Daly, I think they're on a, a collision course now. And, um, you know, London's the venue. It's got to be London, in my opinion. It's, it'd be fine to do it anywhere else in the UK, but for me, it's got to be London. Yeah, totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. That was Bellator 179. Um, and uh, we're on a bit of a hot streak at the moment of, um, of decent shows. Uh, taking place on European soil. We had Bama 29 in Birmingham two weekends ago. We had Bellator 179 in London this past weekend. Coming up next weekend, we have UFC Fight Night in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, Alexander Gustafsson back in action to take on Glover Teixeira um, in a light heavyweight fight that will quite possibly propel the winner uh, 
uh, either into a number one contender fight or maybe even into a title shot, depending on how decisively they win it. Uh, Sander, you're going to be going over there. Uh, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be holding things down at this end. But um, let's take a look at this fight card uh, and pick out a few a few fights that we're particularly looking forward to. As we tend to get with some of these European uh, fight night cards, we aren't blessed with an absolute uh, stacked fight card of pay-per-view level talent because it's not a pay-per-view level show. Uh, we've got a card here very much geared towards uh, a European audience. A lot of names that are familiar to European MMA fans, but maybe not so much to our to our friends over there in the states. So, uh, do you want to do you want to pick a couple out, and I'll I'll pick a couple out as well. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, like like I said, Simon, this isn't exactly the kind of you know preview that we're going to go through every single fight because it just doesn't make sense, you know. Um, you know, UFC 211 was the kind of fight card where it's so stacked that you have to go through every single fight. Now, some fights and some fighters that jump out to me, it's great to see Darren Till uh, back on a card. It's been a while since he last fought. He's fighting Justin Nayari on the um, featured fight pass prelim, if that's still a thing. And um, obviously Darren Till, Liverpoolian, but he's obviously based out of Brazil. So it'll be interesting to see how his career has been developing, his, his fight game over there. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him fight. Uh, working my way up the card, Razor Madaddy is jumping in on very, very short notice here. He's taken on Joaquim Silva. Uh, he's replacing Mehrbek Tysimov. Now, I was actually initially surprised when this fight card was put together that Razor Madaddy wasn't on there. Um, I wasn't sure if there was perhaps some residual effect um, or any linger, lingering injuries that perhaps he was suffering from uh, the the March card, uh, obviously being in London where he uh, fought uh, and lost to Joe Duffy via unanimous decision. Um, but I'm glad he's on there because you know I think he'll help boost ticket sales. He's got a rabid and passionate fan base in Stockholm, and who knows? You know, one of the interesting questions I'll be looking to ask him is if this is going to be his final fight because he's getting up there in age. I don't know how many more opportunities he's going to perhaps get not only to fight in the UFC but to fight it at home in Stockholm. So that's an interesting fight for me. And uh, and yeah, I guess I'll throw it to you to kind of let you kind of work your way up the main card. So I'm going to pick a couple of fights out as well. Yeah, very quickly, Darren Till. I think he can count himself a little bit unlucky to be this far down the fight card. They booked him to fight Yesin Ayari. Yesin Ayari squeaked past Jimmy Wallhead um, in Hamburg, Germany last year in a fight that I thought Jimmy Wallhead won. It was a very, very close fight. Ayari was a very awkward customer, got the nod, uh, and was matched up with Darren Till. Now, on that main card, uh, Nordine Taleb was due to fight Emil Weber-Meek. Emil Mech, sorry. Um, and uh, Mech has pulled out uh, due to an injury. And they've drafted in a, a promotional newcomer by the name of Oliver Enkamp. Now, I would have loved to see Darren Till put in there against Nordin Taleb. I think that would have been, I think that would have been a fun fight. I think given Darren Till's last outing in the UFC was uh, against uh, against former Cage Warriors champion Nicholas Dalby in Dublin, and that was a barn burner of a fight that finished in a draw. Um, if he's fighting a Cage Warriors world champion, then. I think he could have gone in there with Nordin Taleb and given him all he could handle. I think that would have been a really good fight. So uh, maybe they didn't just want to mess him around because he's preparing, yes, in Ayari. But um, I'm sure he would have been quite happy to step up and take a main card spot. But he's down there on the prelims. Uh, main card fights. Jack Hermanson versus Alex Nicholson, I think, will be a really interesting fight. Hermanson, again, he's a former Cage Warriors World Champion as well. He's looked good 
uh, in the UFC. Uh, got a, a good decision win over Scott Askham, but did lose to Cesar Ferreira uh, by arm triangle submission last time around. He's better than that. Uh, I think I think we will see a very fired up uh, Jack the Joker on uh, Sunday night. It's a Sunday night event, this one, um, against Alex Nicholson, who uh, I'm sure many of you will be aware is good friend and stable mate of a certain Mike Perry. So you never know, we might get a little bit of Mike Perry uh, over in Sweden, Sandu. So that might be a little interview you might be able to, uh, you might be able to bag while you're out there. That, that, that'll be an interesting one. Uh, Peter Sabota is a guy who uh, we're big fans of here on the Brit Pack because he gave us an awful lot of entertainment uh, in Hamburg uh, last year where I believe, he's, I believe he's born in Poland but raised in Germany. I think, I think it's that way around. Um, so he represented both countries equally. He's kind of Polish German. So, and he got tired of people asking him who he was who he was representing because whatever he said, he'd get stick from the other fans from the other country. So, what he's decided to do, and this is this is genius, is he's decided that he's not officially going to represent either because he's now representing Jamaica. Well, I don't even know. If, I think when we spoke to him in Hamburg, he'd I don't think he'd even been to Jamaica but he's a big fan of the reggae music and uh he's decided that in order to be fair to everyone concerned he's now flying the flag of Jamaica and he did he's got it on the fight kit and all of that stuff he's taking on Killer B Ben Saunders he's having a real uh renaissance of his career he was in the UFC uh, then he got cut from the UFC he's worked his way back and uh, I think that's going to be a great fight um but yeah I, I We've got Volkan Ozdemir versus Misha Serkinov. That's an important fight at 205. Perhaps not huge names. Ozdemir is a solid, well-rounded guy. Misha Serkinov is a tank. Uh, he's terrifying at 205. We were in, again, we keep talking about Hamburg, but I think he was a guest fighter in Hamburg. It was him and Josh Barnett, and they were doing a Q&A. And he was standing next to Josh Barnett, and it was hard to tell which one was the light heavyweight and which one was the heavyweight. He is a huge, huge man. Uh, and I think if he beats Volkan Ozdemir, he'll be he'll be right in there uh, with a with a potential shot, uh, maybe a number one contender fight next time around. And then we've got the main event: Gustafsson versus Teixeira. Which way are you leaning with this one, Sander? Is it home field advantage for, for Gustafsson, or is that layoff going to be something that really plays into this fight? And Teixeira, who's obviously desperate to come back and uh, make amends after after being absolutely starched by by Anthony Rumble Johnson um, you know he's come back and he picked up a, a decision over Jared Canonier in a fight that people were expecting him to win more convincingly so I think he still feels he's got a point to prove going into this one so which way are you leaning? I'm just slightly leaning more towards Gustafsson I think the home field advantage will play into it I think the fact that he obviously lost in brutal fashion against Anthony Johnson the last time the UFC were in Stockholm uh, will be playing heavy on his heart and his mind He's now a father, so I'm sure that will mean he's going to be a more matured version of himself. He's now not only fighting for himself, but it's for his family. Uh, looking forward to kind of picking his brains and kind of speaking to him about that a little bit more. And also, you know, with, with those guys like Jimmy Manua and Alexander Gustafsson and Glover Teixeira, with Anthony Johnson now out of the picture, that light heavyweight division is right there for the picking. Once John Jones and Daniel Cormier... Um, you know, figure things out and sort, you know, get to fight 
we'll find out exactly who the champion is, whether it's DC or John Jones. And eventually, they're gonna that division, that champion is gonna need another contender. And you know, right now I think Jimmy Manu is in pole position, uh, but nothing's ever guaranteed. Injuries can happen. So the winner of this fight could potentially assert himself into that title picture as well. And all it takes is a is a solid performance, uh, maybe a nice little promo, and you know. That's that's pretty much all it, all it takes these days in our like heavyweight division. Um, and uh, you mentioned Misha Serkinov there. He's uh, another one that's on the rise in the 205 division and a, and a big win from him. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Misha Serkinov win in that co-main event, take on the winner of that main event, maybe perhaps somewhere down the road this year. But uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, if you ask me for an early prediction here, I'm just leaning towards Gustafsson at the moment. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think... I think Gustafsson at his best is right up there. I think he can consider himself a little unlucky. He pushed John Jones all the way in that in that famous fight. I think it was UFC 165. Pushed him absolutely all the way. That was that was spectacular. Um, and uh, I think he still feels that he can he can make one more run at the belt and maybe maybe capture it this time round. So um, looking forward to seeing how that one pans out. Now, as I said before, that's taking place on Sunday. Normally, the fight nights are on a Saturday night. This one is on a Sunday night, uh, but it is on UK slash CET, so, you know, uh, Central European time. So it isn't so much of a killer for us us Brit fans who, uh, you know, we haven't got to stay up too late. But, uh, yeah, that all goes down in the Globe, which is a great venue um, in Stockholm, Sweden, May 28th. And uh, do check out uh, the coverage of that from uh, Mr. Sandu and, and from yours truly over on the, on MMA Junkie during Fight Week. That should be a good one. Sandu, that wraps up the uh, the main portion of the show. Um, it's time for a bit of Q&A, isn't it? It certainly is. Again, thanks everyone for firing your questions over to us at the Britpack MMA. That's the Twitter handle. And, um, and yeah, let's get right into it. First one comes in from John Todd, who says, How would you book the Mayweather versus McGregor undercard? Which fight is on the card and just boxing or MMA fights as well? So, look, I think everything is trending towards this uh, fight being booked. Uh, since we last spoke, Simon, um, Dana White has confirmed, as well as uh, Conor McGregor, that that part of the deal is signed, sealed and executed. It's now in the hands of Dana White and the UFC brass speaking to Al Heyman, Floyd Mayweather and TMT, the money team, to figure out that side of the equation. And once that's done, this fight is going to happen. It's going to go down. And from what Dana White says, it's going to be a boxing card. So don't expect Anderson Silva versus Roy Jones Jr. Don't expect David Hay versus Jimmy Manua. But, I mean, if we were going to be fantasy booking, those are the types of fights I think that we would love to see just as an MMA, you know, fan and uh, a journalist that covers MMA. If you're going to do it, have some fun with it. But I think everything is geared towards what a typical boxing card is, and that's littered with up-and-coming fighters, up-and-coming boxers, with no real name value because you don't need it. You've got Mayweather McGregor headlining the card, generating all the revenue from the pay-per-view, and uh, we'll start to see the MGM Grand or the T-Mobile Arena, or whatever arena is being used, empty for the most part, until that main event where everybody will be rushing in. Any any thoughts, any other consideration, any other opinion, Simon, in regards to uh, 
an undercard for that boxing match. Yeah, I think we are likely to see it as an all-boxing event. I'd love to see like a dynamite-style card where you've got the boxing ring and you've got the octagon in there um, and use it as a showcase for both sports. That would be amazing. Um, I think a, 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 a boxing purist audience might struggle when it comes to watching some of the MMA involved. So if you did that, you'd have to match make the uh, the fights in the uh, like the MMA portion of the card very carefully, so that you didn't have some sort of like grapple fests, you know, or rest, you know, two all American wrestlers going at it, uh, just because you could see, you know, the the uh, the boxing element of the crowd would just not be into that at all. So you'd want pro striking uh, stuff going in there, but I tend to think it will just be. Uh, a boxing card and I know you said there's no need to have other big fights on the card I think we'll see some 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 names on the card because Floyd Mayweather will want to be um, either co-promoting the show or certainly have a say on what goes on that undercard um, one of his one of his young protégés um, Javante Davis he fought at the weekend uh, over here in the UK and beat Liam Walsh I think knocked him out in the third round or standing TKO'd him in the third round. I watched that fight and um, he looks really useful. He looks really useful. Uh, and after the fight, Mayweather said that he would love Javante Davis to be on the undercard of a McGregor-Mayweather fight. Uh, he also said he wants Badu Jack um, to be on the undercard of a, of a, of a Mayweather-McGregor fight. Badu Jack um, is uh, another member of the money team. There's other guys on that stables, people like Jay Leon Love, uh, who is a rising star as well. So you can imagine him using that as a showcase, not just for himself. Obviously, he's going to be the one raking in the dollar bills, right? But what it also will do, I think, he will look to showcase his stable of talent as a promoter and his team. So I would think they will, provided the timelines make sense, I would expect to see three, four, maybe five uh, Floyd Mayweather teammates uh, on that fight card. Um, and uh, what would be kind of cool is if they could somehow line up uh, suitably talented Irish opposition. That would be kind of cool. And then you've got the whole Ireland versus Ireland versus the USA. I think that would be that would be kind of fun. Um, but again, it all depends on sanctioning issues, timelines, availability of suitable opposition and things like that. But um, I would certainly expect Mayweather to use it to not just showcase himself, but to also showcase the fact that he is now a rising force in the, in, the, in the world of boxing promotion. His fingerprints will be all over this event. But you say it's, it's close to happening because obviously they've done the McGregor deal. I think they've got a long way to go because I think doing the McGregor deal was always going to be the easy bit. I really do. I think getting McGregor on board, I think, was always going to be the easy bit because... You're negotiating with a guy you know well, a guy you've you know a guy you've negotiated with many times in the past, and always managed to get the deal done eventually. Um, and it's a fight that Connor wants. You know they're not trying to force him down a road that he doesn't want to go down. This is something he wants. So they've sat down, they've thrashed out a deal, brilliant. But in, in reality, they're probably only twenty five percent there, twenty percent there, um, because. Mayweather is going to want a piece of every available pie and he will want the biggest piece going. You've got the TV issue as well. Will it be on Showtime, who Mayweather's contracted with, or are they going to do something separate to that? What other exclusivity 
deals are tied up within Mayweather right now. So there's a whole load of bells and whistles. And I think if they can sit down and make this deal, then I think it's a, it'll be a massive victory for the, uh, the ability of both promoters to sit down and, and maybe acquiesce on a few things, give and take, in order to put on what will be a mega show. But I think they're a long way from getting it booked. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. If it gets booked, it'll be massive. Absolutely massive. James Gloyne tweets and says, BT seem to be showing the UFC live at 4pm on Sunday. What happened to the watershed rules? Now, I haven't looked at my old TV schedule uh, up until Sunday, but can you shed any light on this? Yeah, it's, uh, looking at the EPG, I've got the BT Sport TV guide in front of me. I sort of preempted this because I knew this question was coming. Four till six, UFC Fight Night prelims, live, and then the main card, 6 p.m. till 9.30, according to uh, the BT Sport uh, EPG. Now, obviously, you're, you're going to be an hour ahead of us in Sweden, right? So, yep. so uh, that kind of figures. Normally, the first fight's about five o'clock, half five, isn't it? So uh, that makes sense. Now, the question about the, uh, about, about the, the uh, watershed is a really interesting one. And honestly, I don't know the answer. Because when I worked at BT Sport, I was there. I was there for a couple of years. And um, that was always the reason why we couldn't do it. We always had to put the prelims on the app. Now, either they've scheduled it in error and it will eventually be put on the app. Or they've decided, sod it, we're going to just do it anyway. I'm just looking to see what's on before it. Uh, they're showing a rerun of uh, an NBA game before it. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's great. If, 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 if it's going to be on proper linear TV... That's what we want. We want these... You know, we show boxing at that sort of time of day, reruns of boxing matches. Why not show MMA? Um, and uh, maybe maybe there's a softening of the stance. Maybe BT... Had, when they first launched, and here's the other thing, without labouring it too much, when they launched, they were a brand new channel. And they had to make sure they kept all of the regulators on side. They couldn't go too gung-ho, making any kind of bullish decisions with regards to how they scheduled stuff and how they dealt with certain regulations. And, uh, you know, the watershed was one of the things that they were very wary of. Uh, maybe now they're a bit more established. They're fully entrenched now. Maybe they feel like, you know, maybe they can, you know, you know, they can get away with it, maybe. I don't know. But I'm happy about it. If this actually goes down and it actually happens and we get live MMA at 4 o'clock on a, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Long may it continue. But... Um, yeah, it's an interesting question, and I don't really know what's changed. Perhaps there's a bit more flexibility with a subscription channel versus a terrestrial channel in like a Channel 5 or a BBC One or something it like you, that. It used to be um, 8 p.m. It used to be 8 p.m. The watershed mm. on the normal channel was 9, and on a subscription channel was 8 p.m., and you had to transition into it. So you couldn't yeah. show Peppa Pig and then face yeah. punching. So I know yeah. BT Sport don't have the rights for Peppa Pig. Uh, maybe they'll go for that next year. But it's, uh, you know, the point stands, you had to kind of lead your way in. And the UFC yeah. part often would show build-up uh, build content first, like Countdown or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one, and I don't really know the reasons for it. All I know is if that goes live at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and there's no repercussions, happy days. That's all I can yeah. say, happy days. That may just pave the way for more earlier broadcasts, um, 
down the road, which is going to be very that, that's a that's a really interesting situation to monitor, and I'm sure we'll have our finger on the pulse and see how that all plays out as well. Um, will Moore tweets in and says, "Are any of you realistically expecting anyone at 170 or even 185 to give Rory a legitimate challenge?" Yes, I am. I think Douglas Lima, Rory McDonald, fireworks. That's a legitimate challenge. I think Lorenz Larkin, Rory McDonald, fireworks. That is a legitimate challenge. Now, 185, of course, because it's a weight class we haven't seen Rory McDonald perform at before. Um, you know, I think everyone's a little bit too quick to dumb down the uh, the ability of the Bellator roster. And we've seen time and time again in the past, you know, Benson Henderson being a prime example. These UFC guys aren't able to just come over and have their way with the Bellator guys. You know, this is competitive, top-level, elite mixed martial arts. And um, I think it's kind of disrespectful to think that someone's just going to come in and walk through um, a division. Um, any other thoughts you want to give on that, Simon? I actually think it's an easier, an easy division for Rory. I don't think the division at 185 is as deep as it, as it is at 170. The 170 division... I think the way, if you look at Bellator, they've got two divisions that seem to be brewing up quite nicely. The 205 division seems to be coming along quite well, and the 170 division is coming along quite well. 185, not so much. Champions Rafael Carvalho, his last two title defences came against Melvin Manhoff. Now, Melvin Manhoff has been going for years and years and years. Now, you put him in the UFC, does he even touch the top 15? Probably not. Probably not. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I just think I think if Rory gets in there, I think he, I think he runs through that middleweight division and becomes a champion quite easily. Um, one seventy, he's got a bit more a bit more opposition there. Douglas Lima, I think, would be a great matchup for him. You've got Koreshkov, obviously, the former champion, um, and you've got um, you've got Lorenz Larkin knocking around. I think he beats Lorenz Larkin. I think he's operated in a higher level to Lorenz Larkin. I think Larkin will give him give him a test, but I think the wrestling will beat him. Lima's the fight, though. I think that that's the one. But I think eventually he does it, and I think he will probably become a two-weight world champion in Bellator. Graham Hughes tweets and it says, Is Daly versus MVP the fight to make? And isn't it about time MVP was given up a step up in competition? Yeah, we've already discussed that. Yes, it is the fight to make. And yes, I think it will tick the boxes for anyone that thinks MVP's just been fine cans, uh, Paul Daly would be a hell of a test for him. Um, RG tweets and says, Cyborg versus Magania. Who you got? Who wins? So The lawyers. Uh, yeah, definitely the lawyers. Um, so if you haven't seen, uh, the footage was finally made available via fan-sided um, a little bit earlier on today. The UFC had their very first, what's supposed to be an annual athletes retreat where you've essentially got the majority of the UFC roster in town in Las Vegas. Uh, you've got an opportunity to almost have like TED Talk style presentations from other athletes and other WME IMG represented uh, actors and you know folks from the entertainment business. You've got business folks there. You've got Reebok there. You've got the ability uh, for the fighters to have a direct line of dialogue with the owners and the affiliate sponsors and just talk about how they can help build their brand uh, and leverage um, their relationship with the UFC and WME-IMG uh, to further their careers outside of the sport. 
Now, obviously, when you've got three, four hundred fighters, Simon, um, in the same city, let alone in the same kind of conference room or hotel or what have you, you know, we're talking about some pretty high level athletes who are busting with testosterone and have got, you know, lots of rivalries amongst themselves, amongst teams and camps and divisions and what have you. And apparently, Angela Magani has been kind of, according to Chris Cyborg, mouthing off um, behind the scenes through social media. And eventually these two women came face to face and Cyborg gave her a right hook. Now, the video footage that I saw today doesn't unfortunately show the, the shot landing. Uh, what it looked like is she kind of just gave a bit of an open-handed slap. It's, just, it's really unfortunate because the, the second she throws the strike, the, the video camera is just pivoting behind someone's head. All you're left to do is use your imagination as opposed to if it was an open-handed strike, if it was a closed-fisted strike. Um, but you can hear everyone around them go, you know, almost gasp for air and in shock that Cyborg actually hit Magania. So that's the that's the the backstory here. Whether there's going to be some legal, you know, repercussions from this, whether Andrew Magania is going to press charges or what have you, whether this might perhaps um, really uh, interfere with Cyborg's career with the UFC moving forward in terms of you know, a, a title fight or a fight at 145 pounds against a Megan Anderson or any fight, whether that's all going to then become, you know, almost on pause while the, the legal ramifications from this incident, you know, run its course are all yet to be seen. But I guess Simon, just weigh in on uh, what you what you know so far, the, the video footage, if you've seen it and uh, what this could mean for Cyborg and Magania moving forward. Right. OK, here's my take, right? You have been on record this year complaining to the UFC about how you're being treated, you know, not, not, not having the fights that you think you deserve. You have fallen foul of the anti-doping regulations. Uh, it's not your first anti-doping indiscretion. It's something for which you have been labelled from previously in your career. Um... The UFC have now created a division uh, only for you to fail a USADA test. And now you're going and whacking not just a, a fellow fighter, you're whacking a fellow fighter who is probably a good 40, 50 pounds lighter than you out of competition, right? Um, and for, for, for no reason other than you're upset with something that they've said. How 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 many more times is is uh, Cyborg going to shoot herself in the foot? It just it's it's it makes no sense. It makes no sense, Andrew. I mean, she should be absolutely squeaky clean, doing everything possible to promote herself, to promote her brand, to promote the fact that she's coming back, all of this stuff, and that she just seems to find new ways to just sort of put roadblocks in front of herself. It's frustrating. Why is she clouting Angela Magania? What, what? What? I mean, Angela Magania. I, who knew that she was still even in the UFC, right? She so she's turned up there. She, you know, she's at the thing, and having watched the footage, 
it didn't really seem like Angela was saying that much at the time. I think Cyborg had obviously taken issue with something that had been posted or something that had been said previously. Uh, through a few expletives, McGannion's way, and then and then through through a right hand at her, and and you can't do that. You, that. That's she's a professional fighter. Professional means you conduct yourself professionally. This is your job. You know, you don't go clouting people willy nilly outside of outside of your job. You get banged up for that sort of behaviour. So, I I think she's taken leave of her senses. She's completely lost the plot. Somebody, whether it be a management, whether it be the UFC, someone needs to sit her down and go, what the hell are you playing at? You're throwing away what could be the most lucrative year or two years of your career through being stupid and making terrible decisions. That's that's my take. That's my take. Honestly, I saw it. I, th- I think it was overplayed. Having, having, you know, tweets were going out about this, that, the other, bloody, bloody, blah. And then you see the footage and it's like, well, it's not quite how it was originally portrayed. It was like she'd properly punched her. Someone said she'd punched her tooth out and, you know, and Maganya was mouthing off at her and telling her this, that, the other. There wasn't much evidence of that in the video. So uh, based on the video, it was a bit of handbags. It was just a bit of a slap. Or, you know, whether it was closed or open fist doesn't really matter. Um, the fact is, you're a professional fighter. Behave like a professional fighter. Don't. You know, and especially when you need to be getting into everyone's good graces again, particularly the UFC. This make this doesn't help her at all. And and you know, you can't go walking around with a temper like that uh, and and expect everybody to sort of bend over and give you the fights that you want and the opportunities that you need when you can't conduct yourself properly on official company business. All right, it was fun and games, and everyone's having a bit of fun, but you got three hundred fighters there. I, I haven't heard any stories of anybody else smacking each other about. So, um, and there's a lot of alpha, alpha athletes knocking about the place. You know, uh, people have respectfully kept the distance from the people that they've got rivalries with, and everything appears to have gone off relatively without incident, except for this. It's stupid, and I, 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 I've got no sympathy for it at all. And just as we kind of speak about it, there's just been an article. Uh, published on MMAJunkie.com for those that want to check it out. And it looks like the Nevada um, police, the Clark County police, have basically charged Cyborg with a misdemeanor assault, which essentially carries um, a potential jail time of six months and a $1,000 fine, although that punishment can be downgraded to community service. So this is actually really serious now. So I guess it's going to come down to how you know far along Angela Magani is going to push this, but Cyborg's in some trouble, and it's not a good look. Um, and you kind of broke it down very well there, Simon, because this is a, the opportunity for her to make some real big paydays and for her to jeopardize this by uh, a really silly act is um, is really disappointing. So we'll see how that all kind of uh, develops. Sonny Daniel tweets in and says, which new weight classes will the UFC bring in and will they remove the 170-pound weight class? So we know that the women's flyweight division is is on its way. Um, that's one we'll probably get by the end of the year. Um, now, the California State Athletic Commission last week kind of almost issued a 10-point a or a, you know, a document which had kind of a 10 bullet points kind of helping or at least advising how best to tackle 
the issue of drastic weight cutting. And one of the suggestions in, in the in the proposal was to perhaps have fighters no more than 10% or weigh no more than 10% on the day of the fight versus the day before, which is pretty pretty decent. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board for that. It means that they, you know, the fighters aren't ballooning up 25, 30 pounds, um, and uh, failure to keep within that 10% would mean they would advise uh, that the fighters move up to the next weight class. These are all interesting. This is a, this is a very interesting time because you know Andy Foster of the California Commission has really been leading stuff like this, and they've got their the annual kind of I think it's ABC um, kind of. Yeah. coming together of the commissions in July where they try and come together, um, hash out some new rules and regulations and implement it um, nationwide across all the states as long as all the states kind of vote in on it. Um, but one of the other things was the idea of introducing a 165-pound weight class and a 195-pound weight class. And it kind of led me to think, and I think we might have spoken about this before, Simon, I would really, 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 really love to see um, the UFC and Bellator and every promotion um, changed the welterweight division to 175 pounds. And then you have, um, maybe we can call it the light welterweight division, be 165 pounds. That way, you've got a nice and equal jump up in weight classes from 125, 135, 145, 155, 165, 175, 185. At the moment, You've got this massive discrepancy where you perhaps got undersized welterweights um, fighting um, at 155 pounds and oversized welterweights fighting, you know, at 185 pounds um, because they just, you know, I mean, you look at someone like Johnny Hendricks, he'd be the ideal candidate to fight in a 175 pound weight class. And, um, and, I, and I think that's the division and that's the area that you can get away with a 165 pound weight class because I think... The two weight classes that are most stacked full of fighters is welterweight and lightweight. So I don't think you'd be damaging those weight classes too much by introducing a 165-pound weight class by giving fighters an opportunity to almost reinvent themselves and actually fight at a healthier weight weight division for them. Your thoughts on that, Simon? Agree, disagree? Give your two cents. I think on the face of it, having more weight classes makes sense. But I think... It, I don't think it's the I don't think it's the solution. I think it's just part of the solution. I think the issue with it, the issue with it, and where it differs from boxing, boxing you're talking about the whole world of the sport, right? And with the UFC, if we're looking specifically at the UFC, that's a, a very closed roster of fighters. So you're thinning out that roster across more weight classes. So there's that. That's number one. Number two. It actually, in you know, you could counter argue that it encourages weight cut, extreme weight cutting, because it's like, well, I haven't got to go down as far now. I haven't got to drop twenty pounds, or you know, fifteen pounds or whatever it is to move to the next division down. I've only got to drop ten. You know what I mean? So it almost might encourage. So I think that the number one thing that that, that they can do, the weight classes are fine. You know, if you want to add extra weight classes. To give it a more unified look, so you've got a set uh, gap between weight classes. I agree with that. I think that makes sense. Having a ten-pound weight gap between every weight class, I think that makes sense. And there's only a few holes to fill. 
You know, you wouldn't have to create like 10 new weight classes. So, so you've got a few, a few holes to fill. You'd add a couple of new weight classes. And actually, they would actually fit, as you said, in that middle band of the weights where there tend to be more uh, athletes anyway. Now, I think the key is you need to almost come up with, like in drug testing, they build up what's called a biological passport where your drug tests are, are basically totaled and, and put together over a long period of time. And from that, you can, you can put together a, a profile of everything from the amount of red blood cell content to you know the, your, your testosterone, epitestosterone ratios. And you can compare those, even if you're fluctuating within the agreed ranges. But if you can see big fluctuations within that, that also allows you to detect if there's some some sort of iffiness going on. And I think a similar sort of thing needs to be applied when it comes to weight cutting. So what needs to happen is fighters need to be biologically tested to ascertain their optimal weight and told, this is your optimal weight. Now, you might fit between two weight classes and they say, you can fight 175 and 165 or 175 and 185. But I think that, and, and that, that's such a cost-heavy cost process and a, time, a very, a very uh, time-consuming process. But I think unless you do that, it's really hard to, to completely eradicate the issue of weight cutting. The thing about same-day weights, I think the IBF insists on it for world championship fights. I think the fight I mentioned earlier, the Javante Davis-Liam Walsh fight, uh, I think the IBF was one of the sanctioning bodies for that fight. And they insisted on a same-day weigh-in. So they had the weigh-in the day before, and I think they weighed in a couple of hours before the fight or something like that. And they had to be at a certain a certain range. I don't know what it was, but um, even that, having a weigh-in that close to a fight, it, you know, arguably that's dangerous as well because if fighters are having to lose weight to make sure they're within that range... That's that's arguably the most dangerous thing of all, right? Because then what you've got are people stepping in the cage dehydrated, and that's that's dangerous. So I think it all has to it all has to centre around a fighter's natural weight, and somehow it needs to be determined what each fighter's natural weight is. And from that, you then say, okay, you're this size, your BMI is this, or your frame is this, you fit this body type, and you go through a series of tests, and then you're told you fight. At 165 or between 165 and 175 and then you have to abide by that um and i don't know i don't think there's an easy route to that and you can have as many different weight classes as you like um same day weigh-ins or you know morning before you know it, it doesn't matter that i think is the thing that's going to eventually be the thing that that improves the issue with weight cutting because if you don't have that, people will still look to cut weight to make, make, make you know, to make a division. Encur- you know, people might think, oh, I could, I could drop two weight divisions. You know, this weight division is looking a bit thin. I can drop down to this and do, do well. So, yeah, I think it's a can of worms. And whichever way you look at it, it's tricky. Final question from Paul James. that says, would you agree that the ex-UFC guys that have gone over to Bellator are the next level? I don't see McDonald or Bader losing to anyone in divisions. Look... What's true here is that if you're fighting in the UFC, you have, for the majority of your career, fought much higher level competition. And that's only going to make you a better fighter, right? Now, when you're jumping into Bellator, depending on the weight class, we've already spoken about how 
the welterweight division and now the light heavyweight division, they're really adding some depth in terms of talent. And it's becoming a lot more competitive than it has been in many, many years, if ever. Um, with that being said, when, you guys, when you've got guys like McDonald and Bader come over, you'd like to think they're going to do pretty well, right? So, but the proof is all in the pudding. You know, like, again, I go back to the Benson Henderson example. He came over as a former UFC champion, and it hasn't exactly gone his way totally thus far, you know? Um, so he's still kind of trying to figure out um, his kind of Bellator career. And, um, you know, Michael Chandler done it to him. And uh, Michael Chandler is a homegrown Bellator guy. So it's, it, we'll see. So far, so good for Rory McDonald. When it comes to Ryan Bader, let's see. Because uh, Phil Davis is... He's not exactly a, a, a knockout artist, but he is a very, very tough customer. It's, he's, he's, he's very tricky uh, to beat, and uh, Ryan Bader is going to have to be very, very careful how he strategizes for that particular fight. But, um, but yeah, on the whole, look, if you're fighting in the UFC and you go over to Bellator, I think you've got the right level of you know, competition experience to do pretty well for yourself there. Yeah, I... I think to say the next level might be stretching it a little bit. I think take someone like Phil Phil Davis. Obviously, he came from the UFC. He, he he was one of the early ones, wasn't he? He moved across, and I always thought that he was a knockout punch away from being a serious contender in the UFC. And he just hasn't really. Granted, he knocked out Francis Carmont uh, a couple of years ago in Bellator, um, but he's had seventeen career wins. Just looking down his record, he's had seventeen career wins. Only three of them. By knockout or TKO, so and he grinds out decisions. That's his. That's his thing. He grinds out decisions. He's very effective. He's got a very, very uh, stifling wrestling game. But that wasn't enough on its own in the UFC to take him to that very next level. It's got him to the top at Bellator. Um, so I think, I think it's just a situation where Bellator don't have the strength in depth that the UFC has. You know, the UFC, you know, they're the big dog, aren't they? They've got they've got the sizable roster. They've got, you know, the brand, you know, the brand kudos, if you like. So people want to go and fight for the UFC because they're the established number one. They're the established leader. But what you've now got is Bellator are relatively the new kid on the block. Obviously, they've been around a while, but under their current sort of iteration under Scott Coker, you know, they're almost like Strikeforce 2.0 as... Uh, you know, we've spoken to Scott Coker about, and it seems to be building momentum, but at the moment, they're still growing, and to compare the two would almost be unfair. They've got some talented fighters come over from the UFC. Rory McDonald is, without doubt, the number one on that list. Without doubt, the number one on that list, uh, because he's world championship level, we know this. The other guys haven't really competed at world championship level in the UFC, Matt, uh, Roy McDonald has, and that's the difference. So, I just, I just think that as time goes on, we'll start to see these weight classes develop. Fighters will start to move up. When fighters are choosing which promotion to sign for, whether it's the UFC or whether it's Bellator, they've now got a viable other option with Bellator. So, uh, and also with Scott Coker signing some of these sort of young prospects who are very talented in one form of MMA, but doing it very young in their careers. Those guys might come up and become real phenoms in the sport. You know, people like Aaron Pico, uh, people like that. So, yeah, I think 
I think it's almost unfair to compare the two at this point. Um, but uh, next level, I would say next level, but they are, you know, they're, they're moving across and slotting in a sort of top 10, top 5 level for sure. And that's a wrap for this week's question, Simon. Perfect. Thank you for everyone who sent us questions at the Britpack MMA on Twitter. Um, send questions whenever you've got them. Um, we will we will give them a like. Sandu watches that Twitter feed like a hawk, and uh, when he sees a good question, he'll click on that little heart and uh, and like it, so that we know that we need to try and address that on next week's show. Uh, next week's show uh, should be a good one. We're going to look back on uh, UFC Fight Night in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, Sandu can tell us about all the shenanigans that go down over there in, in Stockholm um, and what kind of crazy clothes uh, our Swedish photographer friend Per is deciding to wear for the week. Uh, it should be good fun. And uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at the Britpack MMA, as I mentioned. You can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. You can follow me at Simon Head. The website is thebritpackmma.com. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, you can get us on Stitcher, you can get us on SoundCloud. You can get us on Acast, and uh, when I can get our connection with YouTube working again, uh, it's been it's been broken for the last two weeks. Uh, we'll get it on YouTube as well. Um, thank you very much for, uh, for checking in and listening to the Brit Pack episode number forty. We will be back next week with episode number forty-one. Until then, enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you soon.